0: Thank you Gordon for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream and we are on the last day of the year 2023 and I've invited you to turn to Jude a little small book of Jude toward the back of your New Testament just one chapter so we don't really say chapter 1 verse 17 through 25 it's just verses 17 to 25. Well the new year is upon us it is a A time of reflection and also of anticipation. We look back to the things that God has done for us over the last year. I hope you do with Thanksgiving for the blessings that have come your way. I certainly do with many blessings that have come our way. And uh, then I look forward to challenges and to seeing God's will as He does what He wants to do in our lives in in the coming year. My text, in these verses, we just read in our service from verse 17 to the end of the, of the chapter, but I want to center on two verses, and that is 20 and, and 21, because in those two verses, there are four admonitions given to believers who enter into a time of, uh, of challenge, and that's where we are in our world as well. Now, Jude was the the physical brother of Jesus, that is, a a child of, of Mary and Joseph. Jude and James, those two books in the New Testament, come from the brothers of Jesus, who actually came to faith late, that is, after the Lord's resurrection, evidently. And he writes this book late in the first century, probably around 80 A.D., which is pretty late. And this book is very direct, if you know it at all and you remember it. Uh, It's even scathing sometimes in what he says. Every time I read it or think about it, I think about in verse 2 where he gives us the very common words like Paul does, but he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. Mercy is a unique word, but I, I kind of think of it as you're going to need it after I'm done saying what I've got to say in this book because he really lays it out. Now, you might remember that this is very much like 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, 2 Peter 2 is also a, a, a chapter written to apostasy, that is the apostates, those who said they were believers and were not. And so late in the first century, Uh, You had things changing already, a lot of people claiming to be believers who were not holding all kinds of strange doctrines. Probably Peter wrote first and and Jude writes afterwards, knowing already what Peter has written. Uh, Peter kind of writes anticipating that false teachers will come, perilous times will come, and they're coming upon us. Jude writes as though they're here. This is what Peter spoke about. You remember, we have it right there in verse 18. You remember what the the apostles told us. And so he's probably even referring to, to Peter also. Three times he calls his recipients beloved. So he's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians who are going to have to enter into troublous times. And we know from the first century and beyond that, that times of persecution and tribulation were coming upon the the church and growing as the time went on. He says in verse 18, it's the last time. Interesting, isn't it? It's the last time. And we're closer to that than Jude was. That is, we've been living in the last time for 2,000 years. Here's an interesting progression. You you see in verse 14, the name Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So we go way back. He goes way back uh, even before Noah, uh, Noah's grandfather actually, goes way back to uh, that time. And in verses 14 to 16, he says, Enoch prophesied and said, the Lord is coming. And the Lord is going to come with ten thousands of his saints. Uh, you need to know that and be ready. And then in verse, from, from verse 17 through 19, He talks about the apostles, verse 17. I said 18 a minute ago, but verse 17, here's what the apostles say. So, from all the way back to Enoch, the seventh from Adam, all the way up to his day and the apostles that were still alive, he's saying, The Lord is coming, and therefore troublous times are coming. Because before the Lord comes in glory, this world is going to be hurting, and things are going to be going downhill. I I think it's interesting. You remember uh, Hebrews 1, 2 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son and his son's apostles. So all the way back through the prophets, way to Enoch, all the way up through the apostles, uh, we have been warned that the Lord is coming back And before he does, there will be some tough times to live through. So he comes to verse 20 and 21, which I want us to look at this morning, and says, so let me give you four things you're going to need in these days ahead. And basically that's what we're looking at. But you, beloved, here's what you should do, not as the world did. We heard a good lesson last hour uh, and in that, uh, in our adult Bible study, we reflected a little bit on how the Lord has blessed us, what we need to do uh, as we enter the new year, what, what changes should we make in our lives, what emphases should we put on our life. That's what verses 20 and 21 do for us. And they give us these four things uh, that we are going to need. And in case it hasn't dawned on you folks, we are in the last time, and I think we're in the last of the last times. Uh, We're toward the coming of the Lord himself. We are seeing cataclysmic changes in our world, are we not? In, In culture itself, in our attitude toward morality, in governments, and even in the world order or disorder, if you will, itself. We're seeing changes that a generation ago, kind of like, you know, Jude is saying before Peter was telling us these times are coming and and Jude says, now I'm telling you they're upon us. Well, that's kind of how we feel, isn't it? Our fathers, our forefathers said these times are coming and we see things happening now uh, that uh, we never thought we would see in our lifetime, a foreshadowing of what the book of Revelation describes will actually happen in the tribulation period. I think of the word foreshadowing. You ever stand in a shadow of something like a tree? There's a difference between it to me, a shadow and the shade. You could be at the, age of, uh, at the edge of a shadow, but not yet really in the shade of that tree. I think we're in the shade, <laughs> the foreshading, if you will, of the coming of the Lord. So I think that reminds us of how badly we need these things. So if you look at your outline you have in the bulletin or on the screen, I want you to see it's a very simple outline. As a matter of fact, it's very textual. I'm just pulling out the words from these verses, and I want to highlight these and and uh, have us uh, put ourselves in, in this situation. There's also something unique about these four verses, and that is that there's always two sides to each of these four things. I mean by that there's God's side and there's our side. There's something that God always does for us. Does he not keep us in the love of Christ? And yet we're told here, keep yourself in the love of Christ. Uh, He builds us up, and yet we're told we need to build ourselves up. What we see here is that balance, that, if you will, partnership that we have with God where he does his part, and then he tells us, now you do your part, and you do what a believer should do. So we see this duality uh, throughout. It's, It's the difference between God's providence, and we know that God works out things according to his will, and the human responsibility that goes with that. Because sometimes we succeed and sometimes we fail, but God will keep working. So, we'll see that as we go on. So, first of all, no, let me read these two verses with you again and highlight them. You, beloved, but you, not, not like those guys from uh, Enoch's day or the Apostles' day. You, beloved, number one, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So, I have here, build yourself up in the faith. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. So, we need to pray in the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then fourthly, we need to be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look for the mercy of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the first one. Build yourselves up in in the faith. Building up. It's an interesting thing. We need to build ourselves up specifically in the faith. If you look back at... uh, verse 3, he will talk about the faith there. So this is the second time he's mentioned it. Remember when he said, I found it necessary to write to you, verse 3, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. There's a part of us that has to fight for it. When we live in these kinds of, of days, we have to fight for the faith. We have to defend our faith. And so he says, Uh, I want you to contend, agonize is the Greek word. (laughs) Put yourself out there for the faith. But now he says, I want you to build yourselves up in the faith. So there are various things we have to do because of, of our faith. Uh, we have a fight to fight, that's, no, th- that's true. But we have a race to run, too. So build yourselves up. Let me remind, if you took your uh, concordance and looked up this idea of building in the faith, you would find many verses. Let me give you these. Matthew 16, 18, of course, Jesus said, I will what? Build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. He's building his church. Ephesians 2.20, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So we're built upon him. 1 Peter 2.5, you also then, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. Well, how, how do we do that? One more, Acts 20.32 As Paul is coming back to Jerusalem for the last time after his missionary journeys, he says, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, that's the faith, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. It is the word of his grace that's able to build you up. And what what is our instruction here in verse 20? Build yourselves up in the faith. You need the Word of God. You need this book. Let me admonish you in things that we had on the whiteboard an hour ago. Make time for it. You have to make time for the Word of God. You have to find that time in your life to read this. God gave us a book. He gave us a book to read. And you have a lot of different ways that you can read things these days uh, the way that you like it. But you need to make time for it have a schedule to read through. We, we pass out a Bible reading schedule. There are many of those online. There are, you know, if you have a Bible program on your phone, which you probably do, there's no doubt a Bible reading schedule that goes with it. There's lots of ways to do this, but somehow we need to be on a schedule and say day by day, week by week, month by month, I'm going to go through God's Word like this. And I say also, sit under the teaching of God's Word as often as you can, as many opportunities as you can. No matter who we are and, and how experienced we are in God's Word, there's always someone who can take us a little higher. There's someone who can teach us something we don't know yet. And we need to find that, and we need to sit ourselves under that. So build up. But notice, of course, build up in the faith which is called the most holy faith. Back in verse 3 again, I think I I said this to you some time ago, but let me say it to you again. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. It's not just your faith. It's not just the faith of a Christian. It's the faith. And that's the same thing that's mentioned in verse 20. The faith is is the faith once delivered unto the saints. As a matter of fact, in that language, you have a long adjective. I think it's the longest adjectival phrase in the the Bible. What what is the faith? Contend for thee, and then you have in that language, the once for all delivered to the saints, faith. That's the way it has it. What kind of faith? The once for all delivered to the saints, faith. And what is that? That's the word of God. That's what God gave us in writing. That's the book he produced. We have it. We need to read it. And you won't be built up in your life unless you're into this book. You just have to do it. And you know what? You will build a lot of things in 2024. Maybe you'll build some things with your hands. And I think we all should in some way or another do things with our hands. But I mean in this way. You're going to read something and that's going to affect you in some way. It could build you up. It could tear you down. You're going to watch a lot of things. We're in such a visual world, aren't we? We just see so much. Uh, You need to uh, watch correct things. You're going to learn some things this year. Learn good things, not bad things. And you're going to follow. Don't you just love that word follow these days? Follow me, you know. Click on this and follow me. Well, there are a million things and people and teachings that you can, quote, follow these days. But follow God and follow his word. You need to build yourself up on it. Let me leave this point with these three directions. The Bible says, number one, desire it. Desire God's word. 1 Peter two two. as newborn babes, comma, desire the sincere milk of the word. Just like a baby needs milk to grow and to live, you need the word of God. So as if you were a baby, you need this milk of the word. You need God's word to grow. So desire it. Secondly, of course, memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Memorize it and, as Brother Gordon said, concentrate on it. Think on it. Pause for a while. Think about what it says. Put it in your life and memorize these phrases. And then I say, read it. I charge you, Paul says to the Thessalonians, by the Lord that this epistle be read by all the brethren read God's Word. It's, that's why it's there. That's why God did it like this. There's something about reading that is God's way of learning. Even when we hear, we don't always hear precisely, especially when we get older. I think, we don't always hear things the way we should hear it, but when, when something is in print in front of you, you can read it, you can reread it, you can go back to it, you can mark it, you can memorize it, you can take your time, or you can go quickly. Something about reading that gives us God's Word. So first of all, folks, build ourselves up in our faith, and that is in the Word of God. Secondly, also in verse 20, praying in the Holy Spirit, pray in the Spirit. I've often said about prayer, it's the easiest thing to talk about and the hardest thing to do. Uh, We talk about it all the time. We use the word all the time, and it is all throughout the Scripture. And yet, do we pray? Do we spend a whole lot of time here? There are five distinct words for prayer and other uh, teachings about prayer. But let me remind you, in 1 Timothy 2.1, we get these four words. I exhort, therefore... That first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks made for all men. You know those four words. And this word we have here is the common word for prayer. By the way, the fifth one would be request, if you will. So, for example, Philippians is full of this word, request. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, he mentions those words, let your requests be made known unto God. And he even says in chapter 1, make your request for me that I might be delivered from from this prison that he's in. So request is another thing. Let me tell you about that common word, prosukomai. Prosukomai, we might mean. There's a word that kind of means face-to-face. Remember that pros, pros prosupon word. It means face to face. You need a time to come face to face with God. You need a time to have nose-to-nose conversation with your Creator. That's what prayer is. And then the ukomai part of that word means a good wish. Face to face with good wishes, with good thoughts, or with offerings. You come before God and you need to do the talking. You know, you shouldn't be one of those people that always relies on everyone else to always do the talking. Most of you don't. You have plenty to say. Uh, and, And yet, in prayer, that's what you do. You're talking to God. Number one in our outline, God talks to you. And you need to be built up in that word that he gives you. But you need to talk to God, and God desires it. God's listening Peter says he bends his ear down and puts his hand to his ear, so to speak, and bends down close to you so when you have this face-to-face time with him, he hears you. He wants to hear you talk. I like something that Warren Wiersbe wrote on prayer some time ago. He said this, We will never rise any higher than our prayer life. The most important part of our lives is the part only God sees. And the most important words we speak are those that only God hears in the place of prayer. That's how important it is. We sing a song that says, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that draws me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. God wants us to do that. So, folks, make your time of prayer. If you have to expand time, if you have to find some private place, if you have to f- find a time when no one else is around, find that time and spend time in prayer with God. Now, I want, you, I want to notice or, or, or emphasize, I mean, in this same spot, that we're to pray in the Holy Spirit. Someone said that, that the word Prayer, or the the idea of prayer, and the Holy Spirit appear together in the same context over a hundred times in the New Testament. Prayer and the Holy Spirit. You need to be right with the Holy Spirit of God. You need to have your sins confessed. You need to have Him living within you as that living witness and as as that unction that is inside you, that leads you. Let me Remind you of, of uh, Romans 8 26, where this happens. He says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He's helping you pray. Now, He who searches the hearts, that would be God, knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then you have that familiar verse right after that. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to uh, His purpose. And so we, we pray with the Spirit who helps us and I like to say interprets for us. We say something. He turns around and interprets it. We had an interpreter here a few weeks ago with one of our Russian missionaries, right? And we heard a language that we didn't exactly know what was being said, but the interpreter then puts it into a language that we understand. The Holy Spirit takes our words, our baby talk, if you will, before an omnipotent God, and, and the Holy Spirit puts it into the language that God hears. Isn't that a great thing? It really is. I like the word providence. God works out his will in the days in which we live by his providence. We may look for miracles, but it's actually God's providence. That is, we pray and he takes the circumstances of our lives and the circumstances around us and he works out his will that way. We've prayed for people with cancer this year, including my son, Bill, and others. And I have, I have uh, a handful of, of uh, friends in ministry that have gone through cancer things this year. How does God answer those prayers? He works out through the circumstances, through the people, through the medical field, through all that happens, and he turns that around for his purposes and for his... And sometimes... It ends up in a way that we look at and say, oh, that's too bad. And yet that's to God's glory too. And then sometimes it's another way and we say, thank you, Lord, and that's for his glory. I have a quote from old John Flavel from the 1600s who was a Puritan. And he obviously believed in the very strong sovereignty of God. But John Flavel wrote it this way, prayer honors providence, and providence honors prayer. And then he says, providences have borne the very signatures of your prayer upon them. In other words, your prayers are written on God's providences. What God does is he works things out in this world in the way that he wants them to work out he's taken your prayer into account. It's written on his providences. I think that's a great thing. I'll always remember as a boy going to my grandfather's house down here in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, he had a rocking chair in the front, in the front room. had one, one of those big floor furnaces. You remember it had a grate about this long and about this wide, and it was in the floor, and the heat would come up through that grate and the floor, and he had his rocking chair right beside it, and he'd always put his hand over it like this, <laughs> and, and there was a, enough room behind it for a kid to stand against the wall and feel the heat coming up from that grate. I remember standing there often, you know, grandpa would have had his hand over that, over that heat. Right behind him, on a bare wall otherwise, was a little kitch, a little plaque made out of plaster right above his chair, and it just said Prayer changes things. And I've always loved that, partly because of just the memories I have, and I know that's where Grandpa sat and no doubt prayed often. Prayer changes things. It does. How God's providence and His omniscience and His sovereignty works in unison with our requests is an amazing thing, isn't it? And we'll understand in glory how He does all of that, But he commands us and he charges us to pray and bring our requests before him. And we need to do that. Let me go on quickly to number three. Keep yourselves in the love of God from verse 21. Keep yourselves. Well, verse 1 uses that same word. I have it as preserved here to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and kept or preserved In Jesus Christ that's God's part as I said there's God's part to this and there's man's part to this so God's part is you're kept aren't you glad (laughs) aren't you glad that you can't be lost again that you're secured your salvation is secure I'm glad for that but then there's our part so in our verse keep yourself in verse 6 the angels were supposed to keep their part and they did not the angels who did not keep their proper domain. They didn't do it. And in verse 11, there are three men who didn't do it. One of them, they have gone on the way of Cain, he did not, ran greedily in the air of Balaam, he did not keep it, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. There are three men who did not keep themselves in the love of God. Well, how do we do this, And, and what is it? Let me, give you, let me give you this verse. John fifteen nine says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. And then he says, Abide in my love. Keep yourself in my love. Well, how do we do that? Well, verse 10 of John 15 gives us this answer. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? Do what he says. (laughs) Read his word. Go to him in prayer. Find out what his will is and do it. Then he says, "You you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus gave us that great example. He, abided, he followed God's commandments. He was the great servant, whatever God the Father said to God the Son. The Son always did without fault and kept himself in the love of God. And so if we keep his commandments, we find ourselves in the same way. Now, God's part, human part. There is this great balance, if you will. The love of God is this broad. And here's God at one end who keeps us in his love. And here we are at the other end who keeps ourselves in the love of God. To deny that you've never stepped out of God's love, that you've never disappointed him, that you've never violated his commandments would be a lie. We all have done that. And praise God he keeps us. But as, again, we are learning in the book of Romans, we have a responsibility, and we have this responsibility to do our part. Now, the love of God is a great thing. Romans eight thirty nine says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Well, no one can. But we can fail in our part, and you know why? Because we're sinners, and we need to work at it. And we need to do that until that sinful part of us is removed at resurrection, and then we'll be 100%. You know, in a a marriage, you have to love one another, don't you? And one person can love and the other person cannot, and then you're headed for trouble. God always loves us. We need to love Him in return. The command is, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. That's our example. We're supposed to do it. God's love is like the air in the world. It's all around us. It keeps us alive. But you know what? You've got to (laughs) breathe. You've got to take it in. You've got to use it. And if you shut your mouth and don't breathe, if you... If you have things in your lungs that are not going to allow you to breathe, then you're going to die. You need to keep yourselves in that love of God. Now, before we go to the last point, I want you to think about this. Love, is, love I think, is the glue among all four of these things. i give you some verses. 1 John 2, 5 speaks about the love of God and the word of God. Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. So one thing, that the, the, the first point we had about the word of God, if you love God, you'll be studying his word is what it says. And not only that, but in prayer, Romans 5.5 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God is perfected poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We pray in the Holy Spirit. The love of God is poured out through the Holy Spirit. And having the Holy Spirit in our hearts allows us to pray. And then the last thing, which is going to be looking for the Lord to come, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5 says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. It's the love of God that causes you patiently to wait for Christ. So let me go to the the last thing. Looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ. We need to look for the Lord to come. That's what he's saying. And so in verse 21 at the end, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This word looking if, if you'll allow me this detail, prosdekomai, prosdekomai, means to wait with patience. The New American Standard says, waiting anxiously for him. We are to wait. And this word, wait, is often translated waiting and is sometimes translated looking, but it, from the same word. Luke 12, 36 says, And you yourselves be like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Same word, prosodicomai. Titus 2.13, that familiar verse. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking and we are waiting the exact same word that it comes from. And even in Philippians 3.20, our conversation is in heaven From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look and we wait for Him. And we wait with anxiousness. We wait with expectation. Do you know what? That the Lord's promise of His coming has been around for 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, longer than that into the Old Testament. But to the church of Jesus Christ and to seeing Christ, the day of Christ will call us home. That promise has been here for 2,000 years. And to everyone who has lived in that 2,000 years, they've had to read these verses and say, I'm anxiously waiting for it. I hope it happens to me. I hope that I'm one of those who are alive and remain rather than one of those who who is asleep. Every believer has had the right, the expectation to do that. That's why we call it an imminent coming of Christ. It could have happened at any time, and it can happen at any time. And we realize that every day of our lives. This may be the day that the Lord comes. This may be the minute that he comes, and yet it could be a long time yet. 2000 years you have spo- you have been patiently waiting expectingly anxiously waiting for the lord to come i thought of this when i was thinking of this verse in edinburgh scotland i've been there a few times in edinburgh scotland there's a churchyard that has a graveyard in it very typical back in those places and outside that graveyard on the corner of a street there is a, I call it a statue, it's a bronze replica of a dog, of a terrier. And he has a name, it's called Gray Friars Bobby, <laughs> because the Gray Friars were those who worked in the church, and this Bobby was the little dog. Well, there was a guy named John Gray who owned this terrier named Bobby, and that terrier loved John Gray, but John Gray died And that dog lived 14 years beyond John Gray. Well, John Gray is buried in the churchyard, and as history tells it, for 14 years, that little dog went to that grave and sat on it every day for 14 years until the dog died. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Don't you think that dog ex- was expectingly waiting for his master, looking for him? And if, if that instinct in, in a little terrier can have that kind of expectation for his master, can't you and I have that kind of expectation? Shouldn't we every day be expecting uh, our Lord to return because we love him so much? Well, we're looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That mercy is important. You know, when the Lord comes, there's going to be judgment and there's going to be mercy. There's going to be judgment to those who don't know the Lord and there's going to be mercy for those who do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to those who trouble you. And then he says, but to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. So... Whether you're one of those who are asleep, you'll die and be in the grave and be resurrected when Jesus comes, or maybe you'll be one of those who are alive and remain, we will forever be with the Lord, so comfort one another with this. Now, I have to end there, but if I had another hour, I'd go on to the next two verses. But let me tell you why they're there, if you will. The next two verses, or we could say number five if we wanted to, is evangelism. But I think it comes as a conclusion. Now, on some, have compassion, making a distinction or a difference, and others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I take this to mean this you will not evangelize in the day that you live in unless you practice the four things that we've been talking about. If we neglect those four things, it's no wonder we neglect evangelism. As a matter of fact, here's a little detail. In verse 21, we're looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that word mercy? He's going to deliver us. He's going to save us from this troubled world. Well, the word, the word compassion in verse 22, or maybe you have the word mercy, it also means pity, is exactly the same word, translated mercy in verse 21 and translated compassion in verse 22. You receive mercy from the Lord. You will receive mercy from the Lord. Turn around and have mercy, pity, compassion on those who don't know the Lord. How do you know how to have compassion for people if you don't remember how the Lord had compassion for you and how he saved you? And so there are some who are wavering and doubting. That's what that distinction means. And then there are some who are just filthy. That's what verse 23 is about. There are some who, who are in the fire. And you remember there's an old verse in Amos 4.11 that says, You were like a brand plucked from the burning. God plucked you out of the fire, a brand out of the fire, and yet you have not returned to me, saith the Lord. If we remember how God pulled us out of the fire, how God saved us from a world of sin, then we can have compassion on those whose garments are filthy and say we're going to pull them out of the fire. We're going to have compassion on them. And so I would add that Maybe simply as a conclusion here today, if we're going to reach a lost world, if we're going to save some of them in this world before Jesus comes, we need to be doing verses 20 and 21 so that we can do verses 22 and 23. So let's do it and let's practice these things. As we enter into a new year, let's determine in ourselves that we will do these four things and ask God to help us to be better witnesses, better ambassadors, better evangelists in the year to come. All right, let's stand, if you will. As we stand in, in our services here at our church, we are going to go to the Lord's table here in a moment as we think about this last year and look forward to next year. But before we do, we're going to pray, we're going to ask God to speak to our hearts, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. So let's pray together. Now, Father, thank you for the words of Jude, late in the first century, when, Christian, when troublous times had, had come upon Christians, and they were suffering, and their lives were being taken, and they were, they were experiencing time that even the apostles said would come. And the Father, we feel like we're in times like that too, troublous times uh, that our Father said would come, and we see some of these things. We don't know that you would come today, but we know you might. We don't know if you'll come tomorrow, but we know you might. And we anxiously look for that. Our, our citizenship is in heaven from where we look for the Lord, and, and that's where we desire to be. So, Father, make us compassionate people. Help us to realize how you saved us and what you did for us. And, Father, I, I pray that, that we would practice these things that we have read in these verses so that we might be compassionate people in the generation in which we live. Bless in our hearts right now. Speak to our hearts. Before we come even to your table, cleanse us from our sins. Help us to confess our sins to you, that we might come to you in full fellowship. So blessing these songs as we sing, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen. Gordon's going to come and lead us in the song. Uh, no, we're not. We're going to. We're going to wait. I'm sorry. We're going to sing a song at the end of the supper. So, sit back down. <laughs> and deacons, if you will, you come, and we'll prepare the table.